Pete, uh, you consider yourself an American. Is that correct? Yeah, on my better days. <laughs> Did you know that America is so great that at one point it had its very own anxiety-related mental disorder named after it? <laughs> no. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> Somebody's been doing research. <laughs> it was called neurasthenia. And during the 1850s and early 1900s, neurasthenia would become a major diagnosis all over North America. It was described as a mechanical weakness of the nerves, and its symptoms included irritability, headache, heart palpitations, high blood pressure, and most notably, a high level of anxiety and agitation. What do you think caused it? Being an American? Being an American. <laughs> the condition <laughs> was explained as exhaustion of the central nervous system attributed to modern civilization. In effect, because back then the pace of modern life was moving and accelerating so fast, it was freaking everybody out. <laughs> And businesses were getting more and more competitive. Politics were moving fast. America was America-ing all over itself. And it caused a ton of people anxiety, so much so that at one point, William James, the father of American psychology, renamed neurasthenia American-itis. Oh, right? Tommy. USA. 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 Yeah. So the good news is neurasthenia happened because America was so successful in it was having stunning success in its pace as a nation. And the bad news is, even back in the 1800s, we were driving our own anxieties through the roof just because we were America. Totally helps so. us reframe Make America Great Again, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, just as a side note, neurasthenia is no longer listed in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is how we track things like that. But there's a good chance that a lot of us are going through probably some sort of new American syndrome that just hasn't <laughs> been named yet. So until it's diagnosed, I think the best thing we can do is to share. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week we drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties out into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Tommy, have you, have you read any uh, Poe? You know, uh, Edgar po. Allan Poe. E.A. Poe? I have, yes. Poe, comma. EA. <laughs> yes, I have. Why do you ask? Uh, what's your stance on the telltale heart? Oh, the telltale heart. He's hearing voices in his head? Uh, no, uh, that is <laughs> that is not the not the story. That's what I'm going through. <laughs> right. The telltale heart. Is that if the eye offends thee, pluck it out? Okay. Let me just take over here because you are <laughs> you are a non-contributing zero in this equation. <laughs> The, the telltale heart. Is that heart. the one where the it was the comedy where the girl, the young girl, was a robot? <laughs> the telltale heart is uh, we have the narrator and he's telling the story of a murder that he committed, right? And and he's trying to to convince the audience, the reader, of his sanity uh, at the same time that he's telling the story of of how he dismembered this body and hid it under the floorboards, and his guilt then results in his hearing of this constant thumping sound and oh. the anxiety that grows right is is that he is he's telling us that that he's hearing under the floorboards the dead man's beating heart oh yeah. what was i thinking of yeah. okay so here you go allow me to read a passage of the telltale heart and have i not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over acuteness of the sense now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. 
It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like right? it. Right? It's that first line right there. What you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the sense. Hang on to that. Hmm. Uh, it's about five years ago, and I was driving to Hell's Canyon, Oregon. Now, Hell's Canyon is on the Oregon-Idaho border, and there's a great dam there. Uh, and, and I was driving there with a friend of mine. Uh, we'll call him Ted because that's his name. And we were, <laughs> we were driving there to meet our wives who had just ridden to celebrate the, their 40th birthdays. They had just ridden on their bicycles a 500-mile loop across eastern Oregon to end at Hell's Canyon, the Hell's Canyon Dam. And, of course, I don't ride bikes uh, really. Of and, course. And so uh, we drove to to meet them and help them and catch them, get them and retrieve them. What is the I don't even know what you do with people. All when of those things. When they're sure. on bikes, you, you help them you rescue them uh, from their insanity. And because they had been camping and biking and camping, I can't count the ways that I am actually jealous of these two women, that they are capable of biking and camping and biking 500 miles. I am I would have been dead in a ditch. Uh, so, so there we are driving, and and at the at the time, I'd been having some some medical work done. You know, I'd been I'd gone to the doctor for the first time in a number of years, and had been learning about myself. Do you know that experience where you're learning about yourself and the things that are that are you know wrong with you? Sadly, yes, it's pretty yeah. much daily. <laughs> I call it the, huh, oh, well, that's the, that's what I call that. It's just the daily, oh, well, all right. I, I had been having a bunch of this medical work done. I'd been doing a lot of blood tests and learning blood levels, and I'd learned that my triglycerides were too high. And and I mean way too high. And, and triglycerides hmm. are, are an, a leading indicator of heart disease, right? Oh, no. yeah. Okay. And, and my doctor actually used these words. So you're sitting there in, with your doctor. I just want you to kind of put yourself in the place. And the doctor says, sure. he looks at the chart and he says, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, that could go one of two ways. <laughs> and it's always going to be the bad way. <laughs> that wasn't even the laugh line. Uh, he said, wow, you are a walking heart attack. Oh, yeah. Are you sure he's a doctor? <laughs> Oh, that is a terrible bedside yeah, manner. Yeah, no. Oh so it, it turns out that they found all kinds of other things wrong with me. Liver, kidneys, they're all related to diet and exercise, but substantially to genetics, meaning that I would have to take much greater care of predominantly my heart to forestall any sort of grand tragedy in, in the future. Right. And it, of course, this is all really good stuff to learn. Right? I'm I. I absolutely think sure. that it's more important that I know this and figure out a way to live with it and change than to not know it and, you know, actually end up in the ditch. Sure. But uh, this was when, it was about five years ago, I, I started having this overdeveloped sense of heart. Mm. And I mean, Tommy, I could hear it all the time. I could hear my heart. I couldn't sleep. Like a watch in cotton. I would lie on my back and I would hear it. I'd feel it in my neck all the time. Ooh. I'd feel the pulse <laughs> in my neck. I couldn't uh, turn uh, on my side. I'd turn on my left and suddenly I would feel the weight of my lungs and other organs crushing mm. and compressing my struggling heart, right? I'd turn over on my right and I'd feel like it was beating right out of my chest, like up through my shoulder. So there we are, 
driving to Hell's Canyon in the middle of the woods. Oh, right. You'd forgotten where we were in the narrative, right? <laughs> a little bit of a parenthetical. Yeah. I have my hands on the steering wheel and my left arm goes to sleep. Uh -oh. And I start getting dizzy and I start panting, like shortness of breath, panting. And I start feeling the world close in around me into tunnel vision and my heart is throbbing. And uh, suddenly my shoulder starts to ache or my left shoulder starts to ache. And uh, of course, what do you think I'm, I'm thinking at this point? I assume a heart attack. Well, that's it. You would assume right. I thought I was having a heart yeah. attack right there uh, behind the wheel in the woods on the way to Hell's Canyon. I think I was just terrified to admit that something was wrong. And so I just pulled over to the car and pretended I had to go to the bathroom. And uh, we you didn't tell out. your friend. I didn't tell my this. friend. I didn't tell my friend. Interesting. And he walked one direction and I sort of stumbled the other direction and and uh, bent over and kind of took a knee on the ground and sucked in some fresh air. And eventually it it passed. Right. Uh, we pulled over at the next rest stop and, and got some Gatorade. And I started feeling a little bit better. But my chest, it felt bruised is is like the only is the only word i can i can come up with i it, i could hear it beating like a drum and it wasn't beating evenly and with any sort of strength it was just sort of it felt like it was limping uh, on oh. off measures it, it was terrifying why didn't you invite your friend along on this meaning why didn't you include him in hopes that it might make you feel better is it embarrassment is it yes but there is a brief side story uh, oh, that, okay. That relates to this. As it happened, we were on our way to pick up our wives and then to spend a, a weekend uh, at a house in this in the area, like an Airbnb. And we were waiting on news from his younger sister, who was about to go into surgery on her own heart. Oh, yes. And she has a she had a, a congenital valve disorder. Everyone in the story is falling apart. And so I actually think that's important to the story because I didn't want to sure. talk to him about it because he was already right. struggling with heart stuff. And I was absolutely perseverating on heart stuff. It's all I could right. think about. And you don't want to bring up something that's already making him nervous. No. That's out of his control. And now you're like, hey, look at my heart, too. Sure. Yes. But I was in That's an absolute rough. panic state all weekend. But nothing ever happened uh, over the weekend again. Nothing happened to me. It was I, I just sort of made it through. I talked to my wife about it, but um, but we just made it through. Back in Portland a few days later, it happened again and then again. Oh, no. And the frequencies of these events picked up. Every time it happens, it's cementing my conviction that, like, doom is right around the corner and an alien sure. is going to burst out of my chest with my beating heart on its head. Oh! oh. No, it's <laughs> All right. terrible. So the last time, I happened to be driving down, down a road that was, like, right by my doctor's office. And so it was happening, and I think it was probably triggered as a result of being so close to my doctor's office and i i drove straight in there and i i it was like uh a scene you, from you a parked. film i burst in to the doctor's office and and i said god i think i'm having a heart attack and they hooked me up to a, an electrocardiograph within minutes and i i am there i am sure i'm having a heart attack and he's reading the measures in real time and he says nothing huh nothing's happening he said i think you are having panic attacks repeatedly panic attack right and it's all centered on your own heart and uh your measure i mean we're not seeing any scar tissue we're not seeing any uh, you know irregular beating that that is something that we should be concerned about it, it, it turns out you have a special breed of hypochondriasis called cardiophobia fear 
of heart or heart diseases. Cardiophobia. Okay. Hypochondriasis, right? If you're a hypochondriac, you you have this sort of fear of persistent kind of unwarranted distress. And this is a thing where you are you your distress happens to be focused on your heart. There are people who live with um, with the same sort of hypochondriasis around their eyes. They either can't open their eyes or they're afraid of eye diseases, their ears, pretty much you name name something and there's a there's a fear of it. And for me it was it was the heart. It was with me even after I'd had that event. It was with me for a good three years. Understanding that there was nothing going on and that there is a name for it was very helpful. But sure, it, it still plagues me at night when I'm when I'm you know if I I haven't been sleeping well something if I feel my heart if I hear my heart in some way that is unnatural it'll it'll stick you know once you once you hear the ticking clock in the middle of the night you can't unhear it you can't turn it off right. it's that event and it's terrifying. The double edged sword of that is you started having that anxiety because you were told that you were in trouble. But then that exact same medical person was able to say, no, you're fine yeah. because of different medical stuff. It's kind of interesting of like it caused it and solved it, but it still exists. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't right. know how that well, works. And, and as soon as you start looking into it, it, it described my condition so well, right? Symptoms, quote, symptoms typically include extreme anxiety, dread, and anything associated with panic, such as shortness of breath, rapid breathing, irregular heartbeat, sweating, excessive sweating, nausea, dry mouth, uh, and inability <laughs> to articulate words or sentences, uh, along with uh, occasional shaking or quivering. Like that, that described exactly my experience uh, with these things. Huh. And they were increasing. They, they started happening daily. Uh, and and um, it, it was it's just straight up terrifying. So I started reading these journal articles. Right. This is not a good idea. Generally, reading about other people's problems, uh, but I did because that's what is you it do. kind of like checking WebMD exactly. When I'm like, exactly I have the sniffles. Oh, yeah. and AIDS apparently. Thanks, so, WebMD. Yes, exactly. And once you know the words, then you have an enormous amount of power behind those words, and suddenly, right? Uh, it, you know, they're they're starting to look at the the DSM. We talked about the DSM. Uh, the DSM four mm -hmm. actually had this hypochondriasis and panic disorder. Uh, when associated with the heart and this journal was documenting a, a young woman who was suffering from intense anxiety around uh, the heart, uh, daily chest pain, hundreds of emergency room visits, numerous negative medical tests, reassurance, psychotropic medication, uh, inpatient psychiatric treatment all failed to improve her condition. She had gotten so bad. And that's the kind of stuff I started really perseverating on. And that's what made it very difficult for the panic attacks to to stop. Well, it sounds like such a prison to be in because you mentioned once you hear the ticking clock, you can't stop hearing the ticking clock. But if the ticking clock is in your yeah. chest, yeah, like to be brought aware to the things that we are naturally supposed to not notice, like blinking, breathing, yes. Heart beating. If you start really noticing that, that sounds maddening. Autonomic sensory experience, like somatic sensory experience, is very difficult for me as a result of this because I I will perseverate on things like you know I know my body just knows how to breathe, but what if it forgets? What if suddenly I have to hmm. consciously take over the experience of making my heart beat because my body has forgotten how to do that autonomically? Right? Like that's a Ugh. that is a. Uh, that's a real thing. And it was a very serious thing for me to to for for about three straight years. And uh, and, and what's interesting about it is that the DSM five has completely changed the way they talk about 
hypochondriasis, right? This this hypochondriac Ooh. states. And there are now okay. two classifications. This is what I thought was really interesting. There is one, a somatic symptom disorder, and two, an illness anxiety disorder. I have the latter. The, the former, somatic symptom disorder, the criteria is that you actually have a physiological problem. Maybe you have something wrong with your heart, uh, but you are constantly under anxiety that the care you are receiving is insufficient. Oh, that you're still heading downhill. You are. It's impossible for you to be fixed. Even if you're trying to solve it. Got it. You you can't be reassured. You feel like the medical care is inadequate and the panic <laughs> just sticks. For me, it's even worse in, in my own head because this illness anxiety disorder says that you don't have a medical condition at all, but you have it heightened. This is their language in the DSM, heightened bodily sensations, and you are intensely anxious about the possibility of undiagnosed illness and you devote excessive time and energy to health concerns. That was that was my experience. And huh. this is what was so hard about it. And this is why it was it's so hard about it for, for me to actually talk about it with you, because it has been uh, a thing that I talk about really with my wife. And that's it. Like, OK, so you've really been keeping this. Yeah, it's total, inside. total secret. I have I've never even told uh, told my buddy Ted because that's his name, uh, that this even <laughs> happened between us in the car. So it, it is a total, it's a total thing. And, and largely, um, I, I want to tell you how I, I actually was able to sort of move through it. Yeah, I was going to ask if things got better with panic attacks or things like that. They did. And you know what it is? I, I finally, uh, I lost some weight. Hmm. I know that seems so crazy, but it turns out part of the reason my heart, I could feel my heart it, it, is that I was just too heavy and I wasn't working out enough. And once I started hitting the gym and eating better and lost a little bit of weight, I, I was I sort of stopped noticing that my heart was working so hard. And you were hearing it, feeling it really worked too hard. Yeah. And so I went to my doctor and I said, uh, you know, what's going on? Why can't why couldn't you tell me that? Uh, before and he says, I've been trying to tell you to lose weight for ten years. But when you came <laughs> Are in, you tune that part out. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. when you, <laughs> I do too. I'm an, He's like, I'm an exceptional patient. Let's just say that yeah. I'm an exceptional. Yeah. You, you could stand to yeah. lose a bunch of pounds, and you're like, what did you say, <laughs> Doc? Sorry, you gotta go. <laughs> yeah, nothing to cut out of me. Yeah. Gotta go. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but, but, uh, you know, they had, he's had sort of reset his language, uh, uh, you know, about me, he'd keep telling me, here are the things you need to do. But when listening to my heart, he said, for you, for a guy of your age and weight, I'm not seeing anything wrong with your heart for you, for a guy of your age and weight, I'm not seeing anything oh. wrong with your heart. Interesting. <laughs> okay, yeah. so it's all in the fine. Well, I'm with a new doctor now. Oh, oh. You know, oh. you hear that stuff, and you're like, you know what? I don't need you to do to fine print me. Just tell me, like, straight up. Like, I needed needed a bit more than that at that at that moment. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? It was not good. So anyway, the the whole issue here is that this hypochondriasis, in particular, are, 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 is is something that occurs in four to six percent of the general medical population. Is that a lot for this kind of thing? I apologize to not know if I should be like, wow, or wow. I no, I don't know either. I don't know okay. either. And that's why I feel like I want to share because I, you know, when you think about four to six out of a hundred people. Yeah, that is kind of a lot. That yeah, feels like that's a kind lot. of, of a lot. Yeah. Because there's what, like 800 people? Yeah. Total? <laughs> All in? Who see doctors? Like who yeah. would know? <laughs> and are listening to this podcast? <laughs> 
We know our demographic. It, it, and so that is uh, where the average onset is in the early 20s. Uh, and that that mm. checks out, you know, when you when you discover a, a sense of mortality uh, and, and it manifests as as a disorder uh, like this in some people as same. You know, I, I don't know. It feels like same time you might realize that tail strikes are a potential <laughs> when everything just starts going downhill. <laughs> the thing one of the things that I still can't get out of my head is when you said. Actually, it goes back to Poe about hearing the watch um, wrapped up in cloth, in yeah. cotton, or you saying that you, the autonomic senses becoming very apparent yeah. to you. More acute. The thing that I immediately thought of is if I'm on a trip and are sleeping in a room with other people, like if we go on friends trips and I put in earplugs, I have these pretty serious earplugs because mm-hmm. someone who uh, is friends with us uh, is a bit of a snorer and he will go <laughs> unnamed. <laughs> um, but I have to put, I always share a room with him and I have to put in earplugs. And the first <laughs> five to 10 minutes of, because they're so plug everything up, all you can hear is yourself. Yes. And all of the things yes. your body is doing. And it's like, oh, I'm a monster. Yes. Because I it's can hear just gurgling yeah. and oh. breathing and grossness and all of that stuff. And my heart and my breathing and everything. It's like being trapped in a prison named me. Mm-hmm. And all of that is just so gross. That's when I'm very aware of all of the things that are going on that luckily I play loud music. So I can't hear them or whatever it is that we do with our natural lives. Do you have this? That's feeling. really do you ever interesting. I have this feeling when you're you're just you might be standing or lying down and suddenly you'll move and it feels like somebody uh, is has just opened an air valve like in your intestine and it lasts like way too long. Like you'll feel in the in your side this sort of as something no. is moving around. You've never had that. I don't. My no. eyelid quivers a bunch sometimes now i have a new thing thing? to be terrified about (laughs) that's great how we worked that out why do you have a motorboat i don't know i don't understand (laughs) i don't know maybe on a future show we'll have to examine that thought we were going to be in the same boat and uh that sucks i'm sorry i'm not there for you but i want to but i want to be honest wait you turn over and there's a motorboat sound or a feeling in your yeah. Stomach? No, it's in my, and it's it like goes in on my for a side. While? It kind of feels like uh, intestines are kind of moving around or something. I don't know. I, I could be standing. I work at a stand-up desk, and I'm just working. And it's not like gas. I'm sure it's some sort of gaseous anomaly, but it's not like an eruption Gross. of gas. It's inside me. It's not like coming out. It's inside. It's something is moving. Yeah. I don't. (laughs) Unfortunately, I cannot, and I'm very thankfully cannot uh, identify with that. This bit took a hard left turn. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I can't be there. But that's what listeners are for. Write us in. Give us five stars on iTunes and talk about your intestinal motorboat. I have an interim anxiety, Tom. Oh. Okay, this is unprecedented. This is a this is the this is like a commercial. It's unprecedented in episode two. I I went in. It's Girl Scout cookie season, and I went into what are the Girl Scout cookies with that are coconut, kind of the burnt coconut with chocolate on the bottom. You know what those are? They're kind of the rough hewn sarsaparillos. Yeah, they're sarsaparillos. I'm making that up. So are you? <laughs> I got two of them to go with my coffee, and I put them down on my. Uh, the, the package was open. 
the package of cookies was open and I reached in and I, I brought already? Yes, they were already open and I put them, I, I grabbed two cookies and I came into my mm-hmm. office and I put them down on my desk to come in and record with you. And then I picked up one cookie and I put it in my mouth and I ate it. And then a few minutes go by and I reached down and I picked up the other cookie and what's on the other cookie, Tom? Ants. Ants, what? Tom. Oh, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. We're done. No more. We can't talk about ants. You know, I'm starting, trying to this tell you that actually... I put ants in my mouth, right? <laughs> Don't. For this week, uh, mine is actually, my anxiety that I'm going to be sharing is very different from yours. Yours was based in more of a physicality. Mine has very little physicality to it at all. Um, it might seem a little bit weird at first, but I think you and a lot of people listening will probably be able to relate to it. The term that is involved with it is French in origin. It's combined with the Greek word kratos, which means rule or political power. I played that video game. Did you, kratos? No, you know, God of War. I think wasn't the main oh, guy. Oh, I never played that, that was, one. That was, yeah. that was him. Was that a good one? Okay. It makes me rethink your anxiety. Pete, I'm afraid I'm a god of war. <laughs> and is that weird? Uh, the Greek word kratos, which means rule or political power, and the French term bureau, which means desk or office. With those two things, do you mm-hmm. have a guess on mm-hmm. what it might be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, bureaucracy. Bureaucracy, yes, and specifically getting lost in the system. Uh. In a world of uh, strict, you know, high-handed officials and narrow thinking and a bunch of paperwork. It's always so much paperwork and paper yeah. shuffling and stuff, just getting completely lost in the system. German sociologist Max Weber argued that bureaucracy constitutes the most efficient and rational way that we can organize everything we do, all with human activity. On the other hand, he said that unfettered bureaucracy is a threat to individual freedom with the potential of trapping individuals in an impersonal, quote, iron cage of rule-based rational control. I think one of the reasons that this hits me so hard is I found myself in a bit of an iron cage back in... 2009 and i was wondering if i could share the story very briefly what just before you do what what is the what is the physiological experience that you that you deal with when when you are faced with uh unfettered bureaucracy i physically get hot okay (laughs) my temperature goes up i get very clenched when i start because i mean just general bureaucracy i mean and customer service you know there it's kind of a thankless job i get it so i always try to go out of my way to be as polite as possible as i was in 2009 when i get into that story but when it starts to break down when you're sort of trapped by someone behind glass who won't help you who refuses to take any kind of responsibility or anything i find myself unfortunately getting condescending i find my anger level tripling Mm -hmm. very quickly Mm -hmm. And there's something about the fact of that they are so sure that they are right, even when I know that they are wrong, that for some reason drives me insane. It gives me sort of a crawling out of my skin feeling when I feel like I'm just sort of being led around in a maze of their own making. Because everything, everything in their, uh, their, the auspices of their control, they are right. They are yes. always right. And you are always wrong because all of their evidence is all they have to go by. And that might be just a bit flipped on a computer screen. They are right. You are wrong. And going against me is also the knowledge of there's a whole bunch of me that came before me today. And I bet a bunch of them were jerks. Yeah. 
to these customer service people who now just have their backup. They're waiting for me to yell at them. They're waiting for any of them. When all I'm desperately trying to do is point out there has been an injustice that has been made. How do they, how do they respond when you start throwing around words like injustice? <laughs> Well, by then, the Molotov cocktail has gone off. And so I'm usually saying things like, no, you're under arrest. Uh, stuff like that. So. It's a real sort of falling down moment, I think. Yeah. Back in 2009, I was lucky enough to rupture my Achilles tendon. Oh. Um, I was doing something super heroic and, and athletic, and it was really cool. It had nothing to do with just running off of a sidewalk curb. Anyways, <laughs> I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And unfortunately, at the same time, I knew this. I was losing my insurance plan from a former job that I had. So I was staying on with the same insurance company, but I was trans transferring under to a different plan. I won't say which insurance company I'm talking about, but I will say that my favorite song is the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> so here's how they made it work. Even though I was staying with the same insurance company, they diagnosed my newly ruptured Achilles tendon as a pre-existing condition. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Does that make I any sense? It. it was pre-existing, but on their watch. Oh. They watched it come into existence <laughs> I can as feel, I was a client I of theirs. I am getting the, the prickly heat right now. Like, I can feel it. It's under my scalp. It's, it's starting <laughs> right? to hurt. It's, I'm getting the feelings of needles. I'm, I'm sitting in a chair as we record this, and I just noticed I am rocking yeah. back and forth. This is a horrible thing. So, And they're not even the worst part. So the basic of what they said is because of this pre-existing condition stuff, and I was on a new plan, I had to front the cost for the surgery. They were not able to engage the new insurance that what they were saying was new insurance until a couple months after the surgery so i would have to front the cost and then they would reimburse the hospital and then the hospital would reimburse me right super this easy. also sounds like a multi-level marketing scheme <laughs> it may not have been a hospital <laughs> Most hospitals are like under a bridge, right? You are that... close enough to the center. That's the problem. There's no way <laughs> exactly. for you to make any money on this deal. <laughs> so that was the plan. Uh, I pay the hospital. Insurance pays the hospital. Hospital pays me back. And it was I was told over and over again, this will be the easiest thing in the world. And it, no kidding and no exaggeration, took me six months yeah. to get the money back from the hospital. Uh, money that the hospital had lying around. They'd been paid twice. And so, again, that gets into the idea of it doesn't even behoove them to help out. And the main problem with this situation, and this is where bureaucracy really sinks its teeth in, is that I wasn't just dealing with the hospital. I was dealing with several different departments. I had to deal with the surgeon, the hospital, the surgical room itself, and the anesthesiologist. The anesthesiologist. All different offices. Completely different office, completely different support staff with completely different way of coding everything. And none of them talk to each other. They might as well have been on different planets. So every single, almost every day for six months, I took Sundays off for the Lord. <laughs> and almost every day for six months, here's how my day would start. I'd, I'd call a number and then go, representative, representative, <laughs> associate, associate, until I got past the computer. And then I would... Uh, be given over to a brand new person who would listen to my story and very smugly tell me there was nothing they could do and then i was talking to the wrong department uh. and this would just happen over and over again i was going back over this living nightmare as i was making notes for this and i remember that there were three things that always happened they were absolutely certain they weren't the correct department to talk to then when i was able to prove that they were they were absolutely certain they were unable to help and I, when i walked them then through, and this would take I mean, because it's such a long, weird story, 
that it would take 20 minutes to sort of get yeah. through this. And then third, when I walked them through what they could do to help, they invariably said, okay, I'm on your side. I need to do some work on my end, and I promise I will call back in an hour. And none of them ever did. They all just disappeared. Yeah. And the most frustrating part of it was, again, it was that hit your head against the wall feeling. And that's where the anxiety comes from, is it was partly, there was also a real feeling of, like, giving up. Yeah. It was too much. And yet it was too much money to give up, but it was, they were so sure of themselves every single time. And all of them ended up being wrong. All of them. I, I always go to the nuclear option in, in those cases. And it's not, I don't go to the, the place where I want to actually, you know, do anything horrible to, to anybody. Right. But I, I definitely find myself fantasizing about what it would be like to just disappear and go live on a lake and give up all of my life and light my cell phone on fire and like so they can't have any money from me they can try and find me but i'm going to disappear i'm going to go like <laughs> right. straight jason born right. and they don't they'll never get my money sure you can't have my money and that wouldn't even work in this case because i already gave yeah, them yeah, my no, money that's on you what are you doing they, man yeah <laughs> but do you have an achilles i really wanted them to <laughs> fix my achilles did you have it fixed i mean is it fixed i absolutely did it's all fixed it's great oh oh Pete, you should Excellent. see my achilles tendon <laughs> So that is, that's one of my, and I mean, I have a very specific one involving my Achilles yeah. tendon, which I ruptured while being very athletic and cool and girls. I totally resonate with this. I get that feeling in my stomach. Like this is out of my control. Somebody is about to take advantage of me. The system is about to take advantage of me and I am sick to my stomach as a result of it. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the anxiety yep. part is I described rage. I described crawling out of my skin, but at the bottom of it is, is what if I can't yep. get out? And what if is the basis of most anxiety? What if they win? What if I just can't convince all of these people behind glass that I really deserve my money back because it's my money? <laughs> did So did you get your money back, Tom? I did. Uh. And they gave me three extra Achilles tendons <laughs> just in case. <laughs> As a little like gift package of like, we're sorry. I did do, just in case, I did want to look up, uh, to close this up, if there was a word for fear of bureaucracy. And I could not find one. Oh. There doesn't seem to be one. But I found something that's kind of close. Okay. In 2014, France's trade minister at the time, Thomas Vivenaud, was forced to resign only nine days after his appointment because he hadn't paid income taxes or his rent for three years. And when they were at, why he was asked, why haven't you paid these? He didn't say, I forgot. He didn't say procrastination. He said he was unable to pay because he suffered from an administrative phobia. I like that. Administrative phobia. That kind of sounds like a fear of bureaucracy. Oh, that's And I looked it up. It is it is not a thing. There's no official classification or description of the syndrome. But I just like the, I like the uh, sound of it, that if you have... A fear of bureaucracy, potentially, just like me, you have administrative phobia. Administrophobia. We need to administrate those. A stroke. Like most things, Tom, I find yeah. that they it seems like they aren't a thing. If you commit, you can make them a thing. <laughs> That's true. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from, from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I love Audible, Tom. I have been a member of Audible for... Preach. Oh, well over a decade. Uh, 16 years? Yeah. Mm. Hundreds of books in my personal library, and the one I think that we need to recommend today, uh, it, it is a celebration of administrophobia. <laughs> that is, of course, The Trial. 
by Franz Kafka, narrated by George Guidal. Uh, it is eight hours and 58 mm. minutes of administrophobia. The poor Joseph K. is a financial officer in a European city bank, and he's arrested. And the entire course of the narrative, nobody ever tells him what his crime actually was. This is absolutely worth checking out. For you, the listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their amazing service. Again, visit www.audibletrial.com slash scentofapodcast. Today's tune that we've been using is Amped Adapter by Mark Robillard. You can find this show at rashpixel.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever finer podcasts are served. We don't pay to advertise this show, so we appreciate you sharing with others you think would be interested. Just one each, we'll be happy. Coming up next week. <laughs> For me, that just means conversation death. It's the equivalent of a sad trombone. It's the worst. <laughs> Exactly right. Exactly right. It's the verbal equivalent of a child throwing himself a party and nobody comes. Like it's just one person in a party hat sitting alone in the long shot and it's just like... Burr, burr, burr. There was a time when I thought, hey, I'd be a great submariner. Uh, I'd love to be full on Red October, you know, and and, uh, mm-hmm. and then I actually got on a submarine, uh, uh, you know, a tour of a submarine <laughs> and, like, and thought nope. this was a horrible mistake in every way. Uh, oh, I a giant get floating off. coffin. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and it sinks. Tell me yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, I'm Pete Wright. I'm Tommy Mess the Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell? <laughs> <laughs>